Hey everyone, welcome to the Revolutions Within Us podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. This podcast is a monthly discourse on how your body turns against itself when you mistreat it with bad food, little activity, and loads of stress. Prioritizing your health doesn't have to be disruptive. It doesn't even have to be hard. It just takes a little push and a lot of practice. If you believe that health is wealth, then you're in the right place. But if you don't, that's okay. Consider this your winning lotto ticket. An unhealthy lifestyle slowly deteriorates the body, and often we're not aware of the damage until it's too late. But that's why I'm here. Every month, you can expect new perspectives and health tips from a range of people, including medical experts, actors, professional athletes, and everyday people trying to make it happen. Our goal is to make you aware of your body's warning signs so you don't have to suffer the unfortunate consequences when it's too late. If you like this podcast, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Revolutions Within Us, and give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, without further delay, let's get started. Peace and love is on my mind. I stressing the day. I stressing the day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to season two. It feels so good to be here with you all. This is your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. Fresh new feel, new perspective, and a new name. Goodbye, heart over hype. Hello, the revolutions within us. The revolutions within us, for those of you who don't know, by the way, saying the revolutions within us feels really, really good. This brand refresh was really difficult. Feels good to be back with you all. But the revolutions within us, for those of you who don't know, alludes to these small disruptions in our mental, emotional, and physical equilibrium that cause our bodies to revolt against itself. Oftentimes, these revolts in our bodies are silent killers. The changes that are made start well before any symptoms appear, and we only become aware of the damage when it's too late. The key to avoiding this fate is to be more mindful of our bodies, and that's my goal. That My goal is to make you more aware of the small lifestyle adjustments that you can make to reverse or prevent these revolutions from ever occurring. This month's revolution is schizophrenia, a complex brain condition that affects more than 25 million people around the world. Schizophrenia is often stigmatized as a mental illness that prevents people from fitting into quote-unquote regular society, but in reality, it looks very different from person to person. Untreated schizophrenia, like any mental health condition, has severe consequences. In fact, I read in a recent Psychology Today article that 4.9% of people with a diagnosis of schizophrenia die by suicide. So it goes without saying that this is some really serious stuff that we probably need to talk about more. That's why we have a special guest in studio today. I'll let him tell you more about himself. But quickly, Aleo Kovi is a Christian contemporary artist and musician with schizophrenia who was diagnosed in 2017 after a period of homelessness, but has since used a variety of creative mediums to process his experience with illness. I found Aleo on Instagram, and I love his amazing art, but he also talks very openly and candidly about his schizophrenia, and it's truly, truly inspiring. Aleo attributes his lack of symptoms currently to a combination of medication, community, and his relationship to God, and through his art and music, he seeks to empower others who have mental illness and provide a voice for those who may not feel like they can be heard. So I'm so honored to have you here with us. Thank you again. To start, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. Um, So I was homeschooled up until the 11th grade. Um, My childhood was pretty boring. I didn't have many friends. Uh, I was always drawing, always reading. I think the books in the library were my friends. Um, Yeah, I was, it wasn't, it wasn't too eventful. Um, 
yeah, I have two siblings. Uh, they're very supportive. But when we were growing up, there were a lot of skirmishes. So, yeah, but it was it it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the most eventful. Mm hmm. Were you in a household with both of your parents? Were you in a supportive environment? Tell us a little bit more about those, those, you know, nitty gritty details about your family life. Yeah, uh, so I grew up with both parents. Um, my dad was a sheriff and my mother homeschooled us. So there were, there was a lot of stress involved. Um, I think that, you know, given that my parents worked hard to try to raise us right, you know, that's something I got to focus on. Uh, and I think that when we grow up with, you know, certain expectations about how everything's got to, you know, got to be that that just complicates things. So it is what it is, you know. Yeah, I totally think that expectations can be a cause of stress and it tends to be a cause of, a major cause of stress for many people. Did you feel as if those expectations were a burden on you or do you feel like some expectation was positive and helpful for you? Well, I think the expectations about me being well-read and well-rounded, those those were really positive for me. Um but then again, you know, I didn't I didn't have many friends, so I dove headfirst into literature and art. Um, the negative side of the expectations was that there was just a lot of pressure on me to not perform academically, but to have a certain a certain way of carrying myself. I think that was the most difficult to me because I was a little bit you know, I was a little bit feminine as a kid, like not not terribly so. But, you know, I mean, growing up in a very conservative Christian household that that it just kind of complicated things, you know? Yeah. Did you ever feel like you had some type of outlet or other people that you could talk to about your sort of your attitudes, your beliefs, your way of living? Did you feel like you had people that you could talk to? Ah, that's such a good question. I haven't thought about these things in so long. So I think the one person I was able to talk about these things with the most was my dad, because we were both very interested in similar things. I think a lot of a lot of it has to do with what I was expected to be interested in. And that kind of bloomed in me because I I did become interested in those things. Uh, at the same time, there was always a lot of tension between me and my father. Uh, things are great now, thank God. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was, you know, again, it was a little bit complicated and I didn't, I didn't really have anyone to confide in. What were some of those things that you were expected to be interested in? Theology. Theology was a big one. Doctrine. Um, have you heard of Calvinism? Yeah, I have. Yeah, uh, nothing, you know, nothing against Calvinists. And it's just something I, I grew up sort of needing to be interested in Calvinism and needing to read books on theology and doctrine. I, I no longer identify as a, as a Calvinist, but, you know, the Reformation theology was something that I had to read a lot on. Like I had a lot of assigned readings being homeschooled. So 
at some mm -hmm. point when you were learning about um, these theological edicts, at some point, did you feel as if uh, you you wanted to move to the extreme, like you wanted to move all the way to the other side and 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 you know what I mean? Like, did you <laughs> a renegade at any point? Yeah, that's funny. A lot of yeah, a lot of people who grow up one way in the faith, in the Christian faith, tend to want to run to the other side, right? When when they leave that aspect of the faith, but they they stay in the faith. Uh, that wasn't necessarily true for me. I I think I've always been, I've tried to strive to be open-minded. And I know that that term has a lot of baggage. Like, you know, people who say they're open-minded tend to be a little bit less so <laughs> i don't know yeah you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah so uh but i you know when i hit college and you know after high school i hit college and i was exposed to a lot of new ideas uh people were a little more mature and i got to have deeper conversations with people um i just kind of expanded my scope and i i don't identify as like a you know, the opposite of Calvinism, whatever that would look like, because I never strove to be, you know, directly against it. It's it's just another denomination. It's another idea of interacting with God through our daily lives and, you know, learning all about Tulip and the, you know, the various ideas concerning that predestination and such. It it does get complicated. I feel like I use that word a lot, complicated, because everything everything seems to be, you know, but... I mean, it's a good word to use, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. I, I use it a lot. <laughs> Speaking of complicated, uh, how was your college life, right? That seems like a period in your life where you're trying to explore mm. and learn about your uh, many different identities. What was college like? Mm. I went to a community college, nothing fancy. Uh, so Glendale Community College. And it was just so, I think the word would be explorative. Uh, it's when I started taking art classes seriously. Um, I was connecting with other artists and artists tend to be a very liberal crowd. And I never was particularly, you know, extraordinarily liberal. Uh, but, you know, I was exposed to a lot of new ideas. And aside from that, I started dating around a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it was like when I, in the second year of college, I think that's when I decided to leave my house because things got a little too tense. Um, I think that, yeah, college was good. College was good. College was pretty good. I never, I didn't even graduate with an associate degree. <laughs> I kind of dropped out, but yeah, I'm glad that college was a good experience, relatively good. You know, it had its ups and downs. At what point did you recognize that you may have a mental health condition? I'd love for us to sort of bridge this conversation from you're in college, you've had a relatively good experience. Seems like you've had a pretty good upbringing, right? You mm -hmm. know, supportive, supportive yeah. parents, you know, mm -hmm. you, it seems like you've had your normal ups and downs, ebbs and flows that all of us have with our parents as teenagers and into our early adult life. 
at what point did you start to, you know, experience maybe some symptoms of schizophrenia or um, any other type of related mental health? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I started experiencing symptoms uh, throughout the year, like throughout the year before November 2017. It's almost been exactly, I think it's been basically exactly five years since my diagnosis. But when I started experiencing symptoms, yeah, I had, I had been homeless the like basically a year prior or throughout the year prior to my diagnosis. Um, so I had like when I wasn't couch surfing, I was sleeping on the street. It was just a very uncomfortable experience. And I think the stress of everything I had gone through led up to that that diagnosis and there's a little bit of a story behind it too i i worked my butt off learning how to code i had been working two jobs before then like on and off different jobs but always two at the same time and it was it was you know I don't even have to say it was very stressful all that I went through, but I decided at one point, you know what? I need to change my life. So I spent everything I had on a online coding course and I spent nine months learning how to code. And at the end of those nine months, I started networking. I networked like I networked so much and I eventually landed a job at TSRI, the Scripps Research Institute in 2017 as a biomedical research programmer. And it was, it felt extraordinary to achieve that. But very, very shortly into the job, um, I started having intense delusions. Uh, I thought I had dreamed the whole week before. I thought there was going to be this terrible earthquake and I had to save everyone because everyone I knew and loved was going to die in the earthquake in LA because I had moved down to San Diego for the job, right? I started panicking and I started getting intense delusions. And thankfully, the family I was staying with in San Diego, their medical professionals, their, uh, their doctors, and they, I, I didn't exactly need to be persuaded. I knew it was the right thing to do to go to the hospital. But um, yeah, I went to the hospital and I was there for a few weeks, maybe a month. It was it was very drastic. Some of the major triggers of schizophrenia are um, stress. In your case, it seems like it was work stress. Also, you know, drugs. There are you know um, certain inherited and genetic triggers that we don't know too much about. Uh, can you talk about some of the triggers that? Uh, you felt uh, exacerbated uh, your schizophrenia? Yeah. So to be candid, and I know I'm making myself a little vulnerable right now, but I did, I, I partied a little too hard. And the only substances I used were alcohol. But I was a little bit irresponsible with my consumption of alcohol. And sometimes I feel like I used it to, I used the, the joy of partying to escape from my negative situation. So that definitely contributed. Um, aside from work stress, I've, I've never really thought that it had to do with stress from work, but looking back on it, it's obvious that it was. I more or less always kind of considered it to be like stress from 
everything I had gone through the year before. Can you explain a little bit about um, that stress that you had from everything that you had gone through the year before? Yeah, well, working two jobs, you know, juggling two jobs. Uh, for a little while, I worked as a caretaker and a personal assistant. Um, I was always networking. I was I was networking ceaselessly. I I lived for a little while alone in the city of Burbank. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's a city in uh, up here in LA, and. So those were definite, like the isolation, the overworking, the stress of my situation, sleeping on the street. Uh, it was all, it was all, it was a lot. And then moving down to San Diego from Glendale, that was a radically new, well, not radically, like San Diego, it's, you know, it's still California, but my surroundings were completely different. Um, and, you know, couch surfing around LA, very uncomfortable. At some point, did you think to yourself that maybe you should go back to your parents? No, no, I didn't. I knew that situation was too tense, especially between me and my father. And I love my father very much. He's the most supportive, one of the most supportive people in my life right now. Uh, at the time, we had a lot of skirmishes, you know, me being a young adult and wanting to carve out my own path and my parents seeing me as like as 18, 19 year old, you know, not ready to face the world. It was it was it was too much for me to go back. I uh, so I I just I left, you know, and I I thought to myself, you know, I'd rather sleep on the street than face this constant, you know, turmoil. It wasn't like, you know, abusive or anything like that. It was just very, very difficult and tense. So I did not consider going back to my parents' house until after I got out of the hospital in late 2017. I knew I needed to be in good hands and I knew I needed to have a good support, a good supportive community of people around me. And thank God I found that. How long was your hospital stay? I would say a month. Oh wow. Yeah. And what was, and yeah. what was and what was that like? <laughs> you know what? I didn't know anything was wrong with me even though I knew that I needed to go to the hospital at the start. I thought everything was a colossal mistake. I thought that I was going to be the pope and you know, I I I just had paranoid delusions all the way through it. But the hospital stay, the staff at every at at every point were so nice and patient. I'm really grateful at the amount of help that I received. Um, but really the amount of patients those healthcare workers have, like the doctors and the nurses, they were just phenomenal. When you were um sort of at the peak of your schizophrenia and you were homeless. Was there anyone uh, in your circle, uh, you know, as you were kind of couch surfing and going from place to place, was there anyone that maybe pointed out that you may need help? Yeah, pointed out. Hmm. Yeah, uh, my good, some good friends with whom I stayed, they were a little concerned at how much I was partying and how I was burning bridges all around me because before my diagnosis, I was 
the stress made me a little, well, extremely arrogant and very mean. Um, and my friends were concerned. And thankfully, I have very good friends. They forgave me. Um, they're Christians, too. So they understand that there's some grace there. Thank God. Uh, but I have a good relationship with them now, better than before. But they were the ones who kind of told me, you know, uh, something's a little off. And I, I took it badly. I was very annoyed at that. But, you know, I should have listened. But In healthcare, we say that people with schizophrenia see the world differently. What does that mean to you, if anything? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let me try to think about that because it, there's so many different ways I could answer that. People with schizophrenia tend to make connections that are not readily apparent and sometimes are not even there. Uh, so... For example, when I was in the hospital, I looked up because there was like a, a garden and a patio in the in the mental uh, health facility. Very nice place. I looked up at the corner of this building and I thought that the architects of the building had built that to send me a message. So that's an example of seeing patterns and, you know, con making connections that aren't there. Uh, but... Outside of my delusional states, I I love connecting things that don't have a, an imminent connection. Uh, I love drawing together knowledge from different sources and connecting them in unique ways. I, I love doing that. It's such a, it fuels my creativity. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it makes total sense. Actually, this is a great segue to talk about um... some of your creative uh, exploits. Um, I know that one of the things that you do so elegantly on Instagram is you make connections between some of the images that you created, um, you know, sort of pre and during your schizophrenia, and then some of the uh, changes in your art um after your diagnosis and, and treatment oh, can you talk you. yeah and I, and I love that can you talk uh, to me a little bit about that Oh boy. So yeah, when I look at my sketchbooks from 20, let's say 2015 through up to my diagnosis in 2017, there's a lot I don't remember, a lot of symbolism that is lost on me now. Uh, there's so many weird things in my sketchbooks that I've shared with uh, my Instagram following and people seem to resonate with it uh, some people prefer it some people prefer it to my post-diagnosis work and you know other people are the other way around yeah when I look at my old sketchbooks there's so much symbolism that's lost on me and now I've started to recapture you know get back into my groove and my my mojo if you could say that of finding or implementing symbolism and you know unique motifs different different ideas but making like I'll write notes now I'll write notes in my sketchbook next to the drawings or I'll write it in my journal saying this is what this means and here so you don't forget it There are some people that believe that mental health conditions like schizophrenia are part of the genius that underlies the creation of great art. In, in your opinion, is there something to that?
<laughs> there could be. <laughs> there could be. I think that a lot of people are just naturally creative. Um, but there is a connection. There seems to be this extraordinary connection between schizophrenia and creativity. And I think a lot of see creativity, I've heard it said somewhere. Uh, I need to my memory is so bad, but I've heard it said somewhere that creativity is just like make like you can't creative people can't help but make connections between things uh that most people wouldn't connect. I, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but there 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 is some overlap between that notion and schizophrenia which is a condition which you know is accompanied by making connections and seeing connections and things that normally people would connect or shouldn't even be connected you know one of the or there are many symptoms of uh, schizophrenia there's paranoia there's hallucinations there are delusions when you think about um, sort of where you are today, thinking about your symptoms, is that traumatic for you at all? Thinking about some of the hallucinations, the paranoia, the delusions, is that traumatic in any way? Uh, thank God it's not traumatic anymore. It used to be. It used to be. Um, like when I when I look through sketchbooks, sketchbooks, some some drawings I've even made in the hospital with crayons, I, I think to myself, wow, like there was so much going through my brain, you know, but shortly after I was in shock after leaving the hospital and coming back to my family, I was definitely in shock through all the trauma I went through, even though I didn't, you know, I was kind of in an ecstatic delusional state in the hospital. It's kind of, it was kind of a breaking point. Well, it was definitely a breaking point. Um, so the trauma, trauma was real, but when I look at like notes and drawings from the time that led to my shock, I don't, I don't feel trauma. I just feel it's hard to describe like an extraordinary sadness. A sadness, why? A sadness because, you know, it, it was very... It changed my personality. Uh, it changed my personality. It changed how I view the world. And it changed how I relate to people. For All for the better. But when I think about how it happened, how it transpired, it makes me sad. Well, they say that knowledge is power. Have you done uh, any research on your schizophrenia? Have you, um, f you know, there are there is research out there that shows that uh, schizophrenia has genetic links and sometimes it can be mm -hmm. inherited in in family members have you done any of that research to kind of figure out what some what some of your specific triggers and maybe inherited links are the only research i've done is and it's not enough but i've talked to the professionals in my life and i've received so much support from my family because they do research as well uh but learning to recognize when I'm slipping into delusional states has been such a profound tool and it's prevented me from, it's kind of, it's helped me deeply, deeply. Uh, as far as like literature I've read, I've bought many books, none of which I have read. <laughs> so yeah. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you got to read. You're a writer. So. <laughs> That's yeah. true. If there was one thing that you could tell to a viewer who uh, is listening to this podcast um, about mental health and really more specifically about schizophrenia, maybe to debunk a myth or to inform someone, um, to give them advice, what would that be? There are so many things that I could say. I think the most you can pick more than one if be... you like. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, you have a voice. You have a voice. Use it. Don't let people trample on you. Uh, remember that you know you're precious. You're precious in God's eyes, and you know someday you may overcome what you're going through. You just got to keep chugging on. You got to keep fighting and never let go of what's dear to you, whether it be family or your art or, you know, your music. You might like listening to music. Just hold on to that. Um, another thing I would say, hmm, well, I I think that when we think about delusions it's so easy to slip into them because oftentimes they creep up on you so learn to reality check that's what i would say yeah and make sure that you have a to anyone listening make sure that you have a good supportive community find that community um be it at church or through sports or something find the community because support is utterly pivotal to recovering from whatever maladies, mental maladies that you may have. And, you know, you may never stop having symptoms, but the important thing is that they're there for you. They're there to walk with you through the struggle. I think those are the three things I would say. That is so incredibly powerful. And I think that rings true, whether or not you have schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, <laughs> or nothing at all, right? But but I do right. I do tend to believe that we all have something and we're trying to discover what that something is. Um uh, I just wanted right. to I just wanted to end with this because it's so important to me. Um again, you are such an amazing artist uh, and you're so introspective. If people are interested in viewing uh, your work, where can they go? Well, there's several places. Um I have a website, aleocovi.com. Uh, I think I'd prefer if people went straight to my Instagram, uh, Aleo Covey. Uh, I'm also on YouTube and TikTok under the same uh, usernames. So, yes, go there. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for your time. I feel like there's a bit of something for everyone here. Please follow Aleo on Instagram at Aleo Covey. Uh, that is a-L-E-O-C-O-V-I. And Aleo, please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back. And of course, to all our faithful followers, thank you for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments, send us a direct message on Instagram at The Revolutions Within Us. Stay safe, stay present, and I look forward to our next conversation. Brush my teeth, clean my skin, cause I love my face Ain't got time for all that stressing I'm receiving all my blessings About the love and hug myself, cause I got time today Whatever happened yesterday, guess what? Ain't worried about it On my masterpiece today, you know I'm about it, about it 
ain't stressing about no bills. I ain't got no time to chill. Put some problems in my face. I'm just gonna bounce about it. Like, why you mad at me? Because I chose to love myself. Yes, I am proud of me. Not where I'm trying to go just yet, but I'm about to be. Now put your hands up in the sky and be thankful you still here and stop asking them why. Lord, I got it. You know I got it. Look, buddy, I got it. And ain't nobody on this earth gonna ever come and stop it. Cause I'm from the country south, got son to say. Spun a big boy with 3K. Now let me bounce out of my shoulder pot. Bounce your shoulder, feel the vibe. I ain't stressing the day. Yo, I ain't stressing the day. Bounce. You negative, but I ain't got time. I ain't stressing the day. Yo, I ain't stressing the day. Bounce. Peace and love is on my mind. I ain't stressing the day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.